You guys good? Good. Me too. He is risen. He is risen indeed. An awesome day. I'm just happy to do this. Yeah, Ryan. When Ryan mentioned this, he actually mentioned it at the lock-in last week. Could you actually turn this down just a little bit? I feel like I feel like I'm gonna kill myself with my own voice. So um, he, he mentioned it, uh, and I was standing there, and he's like, "Would you be willing to do that?" And my first my first reaction was like, "Easter? Are you kidding me? Like really?" But it was like immediately the Lord was like, "Yes, this is. I want you to do this." I was like, "Okay, well then that's fine." So anyway. I have titled this message, I don't have any of the scriptures on the screen today, so you're actually going to have to use your Bible, and I love, the youth group knows, I absolutely love the sound of pages rustling, so I hope some of you still use paper Bibles and don't use apps, because I love that sound, it's awesome. I won't have you turn to every single scripture reference that I have, because I have a lot in here today, so the title of this message today is tetelestai, which means it is finished. It is the word that Jesus uttered on the cross when he gave up his spirit. Turn with me, please, to Luke chapter 23. We're going to start at verse 35. We won't be reading, you know, the, the whole crucifixion and resurrection story today. We're going to be looking at a couple of different elements and maybe kind of looking at some things in a little bit different light, maybe. Um, as, I, as I was going through it and kind of receiving from the Lord, it was, it was different for me. So I was like, well, okay, <laughs> here we go. Let me get there too. It's, it would probably be a good thing if I turned in my Bible as well while you did. I'll just start having people stand up and read for me, I guess. Just like youth. <laughs> I think they dread it. I've tried several different things. To, some, of them, some of them like to read, some of them don't, and that's totally fine. I, I played some games with them for a while. I'd be like, all right, raise your hand if you want to read. And literally the last person that raised their hand, it's you. You get to do it. So Luke chapter 23, starting at verse 35. So this is the day of Jesus' crucifixion. We're already well into the story. He has been wrongly convicted, beaten, mocked, spat upon, scourged to the point of not even looking like a human anymore, and nailed to a cross. A crown of thorns has been pressed down and into his head, into his flesh. So let's join the story at verse 35. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. I'm reading out of the NIV. It's the red Bible in the back of your pew if you don't have one. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him, which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there beside him, as you guys remember, he was flanked on his right and his left with two other criminals, two criminals that were being crucified for their crimes. 
One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. He said, aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and save us. But the other criminal rebuked him, said, don't you fear God? Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Isn't that amazing? There's, there are so many profound things um, about that passage. Um, actually, I wasn't through what I said to read. Through 48, let's keep going. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. So for three hours, total darkness. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. Or they were, they were filled with sorrow. They were filled with anguish. It was a sign of anguish, just deep sorrow. So there's a bunch of things in here that we could look at. The Gospel of John records something else that Jesus said. Actually, John is the only gospel that, requires, that records where he said, it is finished. Um, John 19, verse 30 says, When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. So what's interesting to note about this, and this is kind of a side note, is that it is finished. What's finished at this point? Because actually the plan of redemption isn't yet complete. Because at this point, Jesus is dead. He hasn't risen from the grave yet, right? There are several things that were finished. Um, obviously, the sacrifice to atone for sin was finished, the once-for-all sacrifice. It had been given. I would like to suggest that in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, it speaks of transgression being completed, being finished. And Jesus actually alludes to this. Um, in Matthew twenty three thirty two, when the scribes and Pharisees are mocking him, and he says, go ahead then and complete what your ancestors started. When he said, it is finished, the cup of iniquity was full to the point that he gave his sacrifice at that perfect moment to atone for all sin. There are so many different profound things within these passages. The kindness of the Son of God in the midst of the most terrible suffering extended to a criminal who was sentenced to death at the simple asking of mercy. It's really funny. I mean, he didn't have a chance to like go to the synagogue and change his clothes and get clean first, did he? He asked Jesus for mercy. In the final moment, Jesus was like, I tell you the truth, you will be with me today in paradise. While Jesus is being, uh, just I can't imagine the suffering. Think about how amazing that is right there. He extended that mercy in that moment. Basically, no strings attached. He was just like, I tell you the truth. You will be with me in paradise. Because the man recognized who he was. He recognized that he had sinned, and he asked for mercy. The final, another uh, interesting thing here 
is the final rejection from the builders in which Jesus was given the mock title, King of the Jews. Now, what am I talking about with the final rejection of the builders? In Matthew, um, Matthew 21, 42 and 43, Jesus said to them, Did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? This became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in their eyes. This stone was Jesus, right? So Jesus came first at that time to his people. For the Jews, right? He came there. He walked among them. They rejected him at that time, right? They rejected him, and they put him on a cross. So this final rejection of the builders had happened. That part was completed as well to put this plan of redemption in place. Verse 43 says, Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing the fruit of it. So at this sacrifice, the kingdom of God was extended, able to be extended for all mankind. This plan of redemption had to happen this way. The cup of iniquity had to be filled. The, they had, the builders had to reject the capstone so that it could be given to a people, so that, so that a broader people could become the people of God. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? This was all divinely set in motion. See, a lot of people don't think of anything in the book of Daniel having to do with this part, but... There's so many prophecies all throughout the Old Testament that Jesus fulfilled, right? All of this was set in motion. You can look back just like a clock, just like a timeline, at all these different things that happened, and it all converged right here when Jesus was on the cross to set this plan in motion. It's pretty amazing. One of the most fascinating things about this whole passage to me, though, aside from all that, is the response of the heavens and the earth. The response from creation was drastic enough for some standing there to understand the gravity of what had just taken place, right? Because it said the centurion that was standing there was like, surely this was the Son of God. Whatever happened in that moment, he went from not believing, just believing Jesus was a criminal and mocking him to being like, this was the Son of God. It would take something pretty profound just in a moment without being told by somebody like this whole backstory or anything to just change his mind like that, right? Let's look at Luke um, 23. This is still 23. It's where we were. Uh, verses 47. 40, actually, no, I'm sorry. I think I have the wrong reference in there. Oh, sorry. Yeah, here we go. Matthew 27. You don't have to turn there. Matthew 27, 45 and 46. It's, got, it's Matthew's same account um, of this event. It says, From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice. I'm not going to attempt to say that for respect to our Lord and Savior. I don't want to bu butcher his language. But it means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, which is where he said it is finished, I believe. It's what John recorded where he said that. He gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple, the veil, was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. Isn't that crazy? At this moment, you just see like a bunch of these people resurrected from the dead walking around 
I don't guess you would have seen them because it was dark, I think, at that time too. But anyway, they came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. That's crazy. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. So creation bearing witness to its creator being slain on a cross, it bore witness at that time. It was enough to make the centurion realize that it was the Son of God. The centurion, when seeing what had happened, this is Luke's gospel again, when all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. So it affected everybody. Everybody realized the terrible thing that had happened at that point. They were filled with deep sorrow, another translation says. You see, the earth bore witness to its Lord, the Creator, being slain on a criminal's cross. The earth responded. Jesus spoke of this in Luke's gospel as he rode into Jerusalem. Luke 19, 38 through 40 says, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd, as people were praising Jesus at the time, said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to stop. This is blasphemy, basically is what they were saying. But Jesus said, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the very stones will cry out. At the moment Jesus died on the cross, the stones cried out. At this time when Jesus was crucified, his followers had been effectively silenced at that time, right? They were afraid for their lives. Jesus had been sentenced to death. Jesus said, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And that's exactly what happened. I love seeing these just like things that Jesus says, and then it's fulfilled. And the very act of the stones crying out caused people to know who the Son of God was. Does anybody know? I was just thinking about this. What's the verse in Scripture where it says everyone uh, bears witnesses to God because of his creation? You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about. Psalm 19. We'll look that up later. I wish I'd put that in here. Anyway. <laughs> Nahum 1.5 says, The mountains quake before him and the hills melt away. The earth trembles at his presence, the world and all who live in it. In this death... God proved his love for a world that had rejected him. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We've all talked about it so much. <laughs> but, you know, for a long time, there, there are parts, and this isn't, this isn't a particular looking down upon anyone or, or any set of people or anything, but sometimes church culture tells us, becomes so clicky, you know, that we don't act like Jesus died for people while they were still in their sin. Do you know what I'm saying? See, while Jesus was on the cross, the criminal cried out and asked for mercy, right? He was still in that at that moment. He was actually dying for that. At that moment, he was in the depth of it. And Jesus said, you will be with me in paradise at this time. 
Let me tell you something. I believe, and I know a lot of us here do, I believe, and we're even seeing the seeds in the start of it right now, but I believe there's a great revival and move of God starting, and I believe it's coming. And I believe we're going to have all kinds of really, really broken people walk in the doors of our church. That's what this is supposed to be, right? It's not just a social club. <laughs> it's not social hour, okay? But sometimes it seems like, as churchgoers, that we have more faith in the power of someone to come in and disrupt the good thing we have going on than we have in the power of God to actually effectuate change in their life. If we're more afraid of one person coming in this church that looks sketchy or whatever it is, if we're more afraid of that than we are excited to be able to show them the love and the power of God, there's something wrong there. There's something wrong there. That's why I love all these different things like the Forgotten Initiative, these, these outreach programs. We're supposed to be taking the light out, right? But we also can't be afraid to let those who are hungry come in, even if they don't know what they're looking for at the time, right? Let's turn to Isaiah 53. You guys are familiar with this passage. You guys good? Who, I'm going to wait till I hear the wrestling stop. I just, give me a second. I love it. Okay, we're good. I'm going to read this whole section just because it's worth it. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. As when the, caps, the builders rejected the capstone. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities. Ours. He looked ahead <laughs> and carried our sorrows. To do that, he had to look ahead and see our infirmities and our sorrows, right? Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Present tense. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. stop right there with that do you know why he did this do you know why he went through with this yeah love right the word tells us in hebrews 12 that for the joy set before him he endured the cross what was that joy what joy is he talking about the joy of having us in his kingdom, the joy of reconciling us to himself in perfect union, in perfect relationship, the joy of an expanding kingdom, 
the joy of seeing the purposes of God come to earth through his co-laborers in the earth, right? The joy of spending eternity with you and me. But I think even in a bigger picture, the joy of restoring creation and all of the created ones to their intended purpose. Creation responded to the cross of Christ. It knew the significance of the moment. Romans 8, 19 through 22 says, For for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the free sorry and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Listen to that last verse. In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Isn't that insane? That creation groans and waits. We see through this that creation responds to God. Right? Creation had been waiting (laughs) to be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So there's a dynamic between us and creation. It's a mystery. It's completely a mystery, right? But we know that creation waited for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God, and it bore witness to him. And it still speaks. Creation speaks. Church, I think we have a much bigger mandate than we realize. I want you guys to turn to Psalm 22. I'm going to read this in the Passion Translation. This is interesting because like, it, it, it depends on what translation of the Bible you read and stuff. But um, in the Passion, and it, it's, it's really cool. So David wrote this psalm. But this is actually a prophetic portrait of the cross. There are 30 prophecies in this passage that were fulfilled by Jesus' death on the cross. But we're just going to look at the end of it. We're going to look at verses 26 through 31. You guys ready? All right. I'm going to read this out of the Passion. He says, I will invite the poor and broken... And they will come and eat until satisfied. Bring Yahweh praise and you will find him. Your hearts will overflow with life forever. From the four corners of the earth, the peoples of the world will remember and return to the Lord. Every nation will come and worship him. For the Lord is king of all who takes charge of all the nations. There they are. They're worshiping. The wealthy of this world will feast in fellowship with him. Right alongside the humble of heart, bowing down to the dust, forsaking their own souls. They will all come and worship this worthy king. His spiritual seed shall serve him. Future generations will hear from us about the wonders of the sovereign Lord. His generation yet to be born will glorify him. And they will all declare, it is finished. That generation that David was seeing yet to be born was this generation of believers. His generation yet to be born will glorify him, and they will all declare 
It is finished. The price has been paid. There are so many awesome things in here. From the four corners of the earth, the peoples of the world will remember and return to the Lord. Every nation will come and worship him. Remember when Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations? Go. <laughs> like Mamol was talking about last week. Go and make disciples of all nations. See, God has a better way of doing things, right? God cares about us so deeply on an individual level. He wants us to spend eternity with him. But he also has a plan for us here and now, right? He has a better way of doing everything, whether that's from government, whatever it is, but God has his ways. And the people of God were set forth to bring about his change, to see his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? Do you think Jesus would have told us to pray a prayer that we couldn't see happen and effectuate change in our lifetime? Because sometimes I think that's how we feel about it, right? You know, he said, pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? He wants us to pray that. He wants us to believe that. So how can this be accomplished. We, we have a big, when we look at this, like all the nations of the earth coming to know the Lord, we look at things like making disciples of all nations. How can this be accomplished? We know we have that mandate, and we obviously can't carry out something like that in our own power because we're just human. With Jesus' death, the atoning sacrifice for all of humanity had been made, but even at this, the plan of redemption was not yet complete. There was yet to be a resurrection. So let's look at Matthew 28, 1 through 20. I'm going to continue reading out of the Passion just because I like it. You follow along in whatever you've got. I like, I like a lot of different translations for many different reasons. Usually, I will, if I'm studying a passage, I'll read it in like six different translations. <laughs> and then do word studies back in the Greek. And like, oh, this is cool. And it just brings out so much. But uh, I really like this. Um, Matthew 28, 1 through 20. <laughs> I was like, uh-oh, did I mess up? <laughs> oh. After the Sabbath ended, at the first light of dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to take a look at the tomb. How would you like to be remembered in Scripture as the other Mary? <laughs> Sorry, that's just a thought that hit me. <laughs> Suddenly, the earth shook violently beneath their feet. There's creation bearing witness to something again. The earth shook violently. As the angel of the Lord Jehovah descended from heaven, lightning flashed around him and his robe was dazzling white. The guards were stunned and terrified, lying motionless like dead men. Then the angel walked up to the tomb, rolled away the stone, and sat on top of it. It's just like rolled it away. It's like, I'm just going to sit here now. It's done. Done my job today. The women were breathless and terrified until the angel said to them, there's no reason to be afraid. I know you're here looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He has risen victoriously just as he said. Come inside the tomb and see the place where our Lord was lying. Then run and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. I give you his message. I'm going ahead of you in Galilee, and you will see me there. 
They rushed quickly to tell his disciples, and their hearts were deep in wonder and filled with great joy. Along the way, Jesus suddenly appeared in front of them and said, Rejoice! They were so overwhelmed by seeing him that they bowed down and grasped his feet in adoring worship. Think about this. For three days, Jesus is just, imagine being one of his disciples in that three-day transition period. I mean, they would have had to have feel, felt completely hopeless. They would have had to have been in despair at that moment. They're, they're like, well, they're coming after us next. That's, that's it. This is the end of the rope. I mean, the, our teacher, our best friend, our Lord, who was right here with us, he's gone. Like, what is there now? Even though Jesus had said that he was sending a comforter, even though Jesus had told them many things, but you know, despair is tricky. When we get in it, it's like a fog that we can't see out of. Have any of you been in despair at all in this past year? I know I have some over different things. Then Jesus said to them, throw off all your fears. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. They will find me there. After the women left the tomb, a few of the guards went into Jerusalem and told the chief priests everything they had seen and heard. So the chief priests called a meeting with all the religious leaders and came up with a plan. They bribed the guards with a large sum of money and told them, tell everyone while we were asleep, his disciples came at night and stole his body. If Pilate finds out about this, don't worry. We'll make sure you don't get blamed. So they took the money and did as they were told. Meanwhile, the eleven disciples heard the wonderful news from the women and left for Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had arranged to meet them. The moment they saw him, they worshipped him. But some still had lingering doubts. Isn't it funny, no matter how many times the Lord does stuff in your life, Doubts just have a way of creeping right back in, don't they, sometimes? Then Jesus came close to them and said, All the authority of the universe in heaven and on earth, some translations say, has been given to me. Now, wherever you go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to faithfully follow all that I have commanded you. And never forget that I am with you every day even to the completion of this age. The resurrection is a wonderful, wonderful thing. It's the second half of this redemption, right? There was a death. Before we could be resurrected with Christ, there had to be a crucifixion, right? Amen. You can't have a resurrection without a death, right? In the same way that when we come into Christ, we are crucified with Him, and we live with his resur- we live through his resurrection life. So we saw before how his death relates to us, how it was our transgressions, how it was our iniquities. But what about his resurrection? Romans chapter 6, 4 and 5 says, Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that just as Christ was ra- raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Ephesians 1, 19 and 20 says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. So the same mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. 
if we know him. It lives in us. So why don't we tend to live like it? That's, that's all of us. That's me. I'm like, you guys got to understand, when I'm preaching, I'm preaching to myself. It's probably more than I'm preaching to y'all <laughs> most of the time. So why don't we tend to live like it? And what do I mean by that? How much do we really trust in the power of God? You see, for three days, it looked like all hope was gone for the disciples. Can you imagine what they were feeling? They would have been in a tomb, a tomb of despair. But how many of us are still living there today? It is impossible to truly walk in the resurrection power of Christ and stay in that tomb of despair. What do you have to do before you walk in it? Get up. You have to get up. I'm going to use a funny illustration here. We go through battles sometimes every day. You know, personally, we go through spiritual battles in our own life. Things get thrown our way. Stuff that we have to decide to believe God on above all else. We go through things corporately as a body of believers, as a church. We go through different dynamics and situations and things that happen within our body. We go through things as a worldwide church, as the church together. We go through different battles with, uh, with principalities, whatever it is. You know what's funny? The whole March Madness thing has been going on, right? Basketball, I know, Terry. I know you know. Sometimes I feel like what happens, okay, so what goes on with basketball? How many of you guys played basketball or, or play basketball now? Wow, that's not as near as many of you as I thought, okay. Are y'all even Americans? Anyway. Uh, what happens? You practice a lot, right? There's practices every week, and then there's games, there's usually more practices than games, though, right? Like, you're, you're always back in the gym. You know, you win some games, you lose some games. What's always constant? After you're done with a game, you go back to practice, right? You get back to work for the next one. Sometimes it seems like what happens with the church and with Christians is when we lose a big battle, we just decide to stop practicing, Are you kind of hearing what I'm saying? When something we maybe all corporately pray for or whatever doesn't happen one time, we just kind of quit praying. What kind of sense does that make? <laughs> it's like the games, the battles are still going to happen. They're scheduled. They're there. But if we stop practicing, if we stop putting forth that effort, how are we ever going to win a battle? Does that make sense? We can't enter back into that tomb of despair every time we don't see things go our way. We have to get up out of that grave. <laughs> we have to run out of that grave, and we have to get back in the battlefield, right? So now I want to transition a little bit here as I kind of bring this to a close. I don't know we have I don't know who we have watching on the screen, but I, I feel like I would be remiss this morning if I didn't kind of present Jesus 
in a way for someone who may not know him this morning as well. Because, you know, this is a special Sunday. People know about Easter Sunday, even if they don't go to church. They've heard about it. So Jesus, 100% man, 100% God, at the same time in flesh, when he walked on this earth, suffered and died for you and me. We've seen that. We saw Isaiah 53, that it was our transgressions that he bore. God chose to give his most precious gift to a world that he knew would spit on him. He knew that. But Jesus still said, even seeing what was set before him, he counted it as joy, even knowing exactly what he would go through. He still said by that action that you were worth it. God's will, according to John 3.16, is that none should perish, but have eternal life. What is eternal life? According to John 17.3, now this is eternal life, that they, us, may know you, God, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life can be equated to knowing God. You see, someday, we're all going to pass away from this earth. Someday. I don't know if that's a newsflash for anyone, but I don't think anyone has found a way around it yet. Maybe Elijah. Was it Elijah? Got just kind of called up out of... Anyway. (laughs) We will all face eternity. We were created to be with God, to have our lives intertwined with Him. You see, we can have a guarantee today that we will spend eternity with Him. And it's all because of the finished work of what Jesus accomplished through His death and resurrection. In fact, you can experience that eternal life today because what does Scripture say that eternal life is knowing God? You see, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. God Himself comes to live inside of us. I remember if it was Pastor Ryan uh, at the lock-in gave this awesome illustration about the, the part, the story where Jesus talks about the vine and the branches. And he talks about that the, that the branches who don't produce fruit get cut off, thrown into the fire, and the ones who do produce fruit get pruned. They go right farther. But there's something in that particular vine that he was talking about, that the fibers of the wood are so intertwined, you can't break a branch off of it. It has to be cut. And that is a picture of, see, the branch is so intertwined with the vine that you can't tell by looking at it where the vine ends and the branch begins. That's how we were designed to be as well, to where we can't see in our lives where God's will begins and our will ends because it was made to be that intertwined. We can live in that kind of newness of life today. You can know God, which is eternal life. He created you with a specific plan and purpose. He birthed dreams and desires within you, and he longs to co-labor with you to see you realize your divine purpose in him. doesn't matter where you're at right now or whatever you've done. Trust me, nothing in this world apart from him will ever fill the longings and dreams and desires in your heart. 
because you were designed with the very imprint of God. Even if the very ground we stand on, I'm sorry, if even the very ground we stand on responds to the Lord, how could we not? Romans 8, 19, for creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. You see, creation is yearning for the people of God to rise up even now in this hour and see his kingdom come and his will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. God is not confined to our little church box. You can carry him with you wherever you go. And as you go, you allow him to partner with you to see his divine purposes realized. We are commissioned to leave the fingerprints of God on everything we touch. So what is your response this morning to the cross of Christ? Because it begs a response. You can't just see the cross of Christ and walk away. Jesus said as he ascended into heaven that he was sending a helper, a comforter, the Holy Spirit to be with us. Every believer has the Holy Spirit, God himself, dwelling within them. Maybe you, maybe someone in here, or maybe someone on the live stream this morning doesn't know Jesus this morning. What a better day to come to know him, right? You may have heard about him, but you've never encountered him. Maybe your heart is pounding out of your chest as you sit there. Or you feel the gentle nudging of the Holy Spirit just calling you to come home. Let me read you an amazing promise this morning. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 13 says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What is your response to the cross of Christ? Even creation responds. This morning, I want to invite you, if you don't know Jesus, can we all just bow our heads this morning? You, this morning, can have this resurrection life. You can know God. You can be friends with God. (laughs) You don't have to be an enemy of God. He wants to partner with you. He wants to co-labor with you. He wants you to encounter his love this morning. If you've never given your heart and your life to Jesus this morning, I just ask that you would raise your hand if you're here in person. And on the live stream, if you would just put in the comments so that we can pray for you, that we can pray with you. Father God, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come give fresh 
newness of life. (laughs) To everyone here this morning, I pray for fresh encounters with your love, with your heart this morning. Father, I pray that if there is someone uh, watching this, even after the fact that doesn't know you, that Holy Spirit, you will do your work in their heart. That you will call them to you. Father God, I ask that you will just implant your heart, your desires into each one of us here, that everywhere we go and everything we touch, we leave your fingerprints wherever we go. We leave the evidence that you were with us and that you are there. God, we thank you for your cross and your resurrection, for without which we would not have any hope. But because of it, we have glorious, glorious hope. We praise you this morning, Lord. Will you guys stand to your feet, please? Thank you guys all for joining us this morning. Thank you, Facebook land on the live stream, for those of you who have joined us this morning. I do want to extend the invitation. There are so many people here. If, uh, if you don't know the Lord this morning or if you just need prayer for anything, please bring it to us. Bring it before us. We would love to pray with you. This is the most glorious day. I just feel like we should just give a, a big hand clap and celebration of praise to the Lord right now. Thank you, Jesus. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Thank you, Jesus, for what that means for us. Oh, God, as everyone goes their separate ways today, let them enjoy time with family. I just ask that you would keep everyone safe. Oh, God, I ask that we would all just, that we would serve you in every day and every way with a new fervor, with a new passion, God. Thank you, Jesus, for each and every one here. And I thank you for what you have in store for each one. Lord, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.